0: Alcoholic drinks, but uh, when they saw the names of the... what, b- what, what is, what is this for sentence?
1: I don't know. It's Friday, June the second, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Gordon Darragh, Contributing Editor at Dutch News and Cyclepath Killjoy, and with me today is Paul Peters, Master Student in Civil Engineering and Frau Polder boa I just have one question, Gordon. One question, okay, what's is that? Is that cricket news? Is that cricket news? This week? Oh no, there's no cricket uh, news, no. Then what's the point no. of
0: having this podcast?
1: I know, I, I'm not quite, I, I, we should just pack up and go home, yeah, that's I it. I think so too, yeah. yes. Out I, for a duck.
0: And we should play, uh, yeah. we should play men's erg needs. Yes. <laughs>
1: well, if, if, if someone can explain the rules to us first. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We both have um, civil servant or... Yeah, enforcement officer related job titles this week. Oh, I is see. that the case? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let, kind well of. let's
0: start with uh, with your job title. Then I think. Uh, yeah. You've been uh, cycling around the Hague, visiting embassies somewhere, right?
1: Um, yeah, and and t- t- taking down unauthorized street signs yes. because. I take a very dim view of those. No, I haven't. But uh, the, the Hague City Council have. Um, somebody put up a picture on Twitter. In fact, it was, I think it was uh, Danny Kemp, the uh, uh, correspondent for I uh, F P in the Hague, noticed that uh, he would cycle past a sign uh, on a cycle path noticing that it had be, it'd been renamed um, uh, uh, Slava Ukraini Lantje. So, uh, glory to Ukraine mm. lane. And this cycle path goes around the back of the Russian embassy. So, ah. he thought that was quite nice. It was one of those nice blue boards, you know, blue signs. Signs that, uh, that they have in, uh, in Dutch cities, uh, naming the path, and also with a little explanation underneath, giving the date that the Russian invasion started, of 24th of February 2022. Only problem was, this wasn't an official council sign. And the council oh, really? noticed this tweet and they contacted, they replied to say, where is this sign? And within about three hours, it had gone. So <laughs> if, you, if you want if you are in impre- the, the rule, the moral is, yes. So the council killjoys basically saw that uh, somebody had put up an unauthorized street sign um, yes. to, trying to troll the Russian embassy uh, in the in the grand tradition that started with the guy who parted the bullets outside the Russian embassy and mm. played the Ukrainian national anthem. He was also told to leave by the boers oh, but really? then he, he came oh. back and they decided to just let him carry on so i don't know if somebody's now going to put this sign back up again um but uh, yeah it got lots of attention on twitter and lots of people uh, thought this is a great move and a great initiative by the hague um uh, to to wind up the russians and then they were disappointed to find that the hague hadn't authorized it and in fact they took it down and they issued a statement saying that the rules are the same for everybody and you're not allowed to just go around (laughs) sticking up street signs
0: I just thought when I saw the picture, I thought it was uh, also an, an official new road sign. It it's a very good imitation of an official yeah. sign. I mean it looks oh. perfect. Yeah, it really looks convincing, indeed. Yeah. Yes, uh, but yeah, unfortunately, uh, the Hague is uh, is uh, yeah what you say a little bit of a killjoy, as uh, <laughs> Extinction Rebellion also noticed yeah. uh, earlier this week. I yeah,
1: um, think the, the the lesson from this is that if you live in the Hague and you've got any problems with like the council not collecting your bins or not repairing a pothole, just get them to stick a pro-Ukrainian sign. <laughs> (laughs) On it, and they will come round within about an hour and a half and clear up whatever problem you have. Yeah, they're very responsive. um, I
0: think the Hague still um yeah sees itself as sort of the most diplomatic city in the world yeah. right so they don't want to um, annoy anyone diplomatically uh, so uh, yeah that's probably the reason why they uh, they also don't want to um yeah annoy a country even though it's been uh, illegally offending another one uh, for the past uh, what is it uh, 9 years or something yes yeah and um, and, and of
1: course shooting down planes with uh, Dutch citizens uh, sitting in them so there was um, yes so, yeah. anyway but yeah um, on the um, yeah the subject of uh, uh, irritating things you've been uh, tramping around uh, the reservoirs of Zealand uh, spotting people <laughs> getting up to no good in the dunes I understand
0: yeah it, it, it kind of uh, uh, quite a bizarre news story came out uh, this week uh, coming from uh, the uh, town of Vrouwenpolder in Zeeland, uh, where apparently, um, yeah, there is a lot of uh, complaints about people having sex on the beaches there and in the dunes. Uh, and unfortunately, these are protected nature areas. So, uh, yeah, the municipality of Vere felt itself inclined to um, yeah, hang another set of signs which didn't look too convincing to be honest when I first saw the picture I thought this can't be real but it is um, to let visitors know that having sex is absolutely forbidden there yeah. uh, and they even um, uh, put up uh, uh, the emergency uh, phone number of, uh, of the police next to it so uh, yeah. if you see someone illegally having sex in the dunes in Frauepolder you you also know who to call yeah. um, and, and, and will- you'll
1: know how to recognize people illegally having sex in the dunes because they've also done little um, icon of two pairs of feet with a line crossed through it. To yeah, exactly <laughs> to, illustrate, to illustrate the point, and so in the great no tradition, they, they have this uh, little icon and also the words "no sex." Just in the yeah. same way that whenever you see a no-entry sign on the motorway, it doesn't just have a red circle with a white line through it; it also has a board underneath saying "go back." Yeah. So just to uh, just to emphasize the point.
0: So. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: so it is already illegal to enter the dunes. Uh, so now yeah. they have to emphasize that it's also uh, not allowed to have uh, activities in the dunes. Uh, to yeah. Itself yeah Yeah, but i think this is going to
1: be a great you know this is absolute catnip for boas right because you can go into the dunes you can find people for having sex and you can find them for being in the dunes and you can find them probably for not carrying id because it's a nudist beach so i assume that there won't be any opportunity to do that either so three finds at once
0: yeah Yeah. (laughs) it's boa heaven there
1: (laughs) exactly (laughs)
0: Um, and also I was reading the, uh, the article on uh, Omroep Zeeland about this and there was a related article uh, about this same beach uh, saying that uh, uh, um, environmental groups want uh, to uh, reinstall or reintroduce rabbits uh, in the dunes there <laughs> because there's apparently a, a huge shortage of that. Right, uh, so uh, Original, yeah. uh,
1: the, the, that that problem will uh, solve itself very quickly if they do introduce rabbits. Although the rabbits will then be fined presumably for having sex in the dunes
0: and for not carrying an ID. Mm. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, a lot of a uh, lot of crazy things happening uh, in Zealand uh, again. Um, and I also, speaking of um, uh, uh, yeah, uh, uh, trolling the Russians, I visited Amsterdam this weekend. I oh, went yes. uh, went to see the tank, uh, which is uh, uh, on display at Leidseplein. Uh, but unfortunately, it was also a catnip for Wappies because there were a lot of crazy people um, throwing flowers on the tank, uh, yes. saying that um, uh, uh, they were... Um, praising the Russian heroes and uh, stuff like that. So okay. unfortunately, um, it is, uh,
1: yeah, also... Uh, so it's, it's become a magnet for um, yeah, uh, for, for fascist lunatics. So, yes, indeed. Yeah, great. So, so staying on the subject of um, uh, inappropriate uh, behavior, um, we've got some moppef involving soft drinks this week. Yes.
0: Yeah. Um, it comes from uh, soft drink brand Double fris that launched a number of uh, new drinks uh, in the flavors of popular cocktails. And that led to some raised eyebrows by people shopping for groceries. I used to drink Double frizz all the time when I was a
1: kid. I'm afraid to say I still do, with because uh, I yeah, have, uh, have supper with my children. So we all Aha. drink Double frizz. Yeah. So
0: I, I drank it recently for the first time in, in many years, and <laughs> I was just appalled by by how sweet how, how disgustingly oh, really? sweet it was yeah you've probably was, forgotten yeah yeah really yeah, I yeah. really was yeah I only drink water and and coffee uh now oh. for years now so yeah i was i was I was really uh I couldn't believe i I liked it for, uh, as a kid but uh yeah it is it is very popular but you like it uh, uh I tolerate <laughs> it yeah
1: I just drink totally it out of convenience really I mean it's on the yeah. table so I yeah and I want something with a bit of flavor Hmm. So I reach for it. Yeah. I can't say that um, I'm a big fan.
0: There are new flavors in store now, and those include strawberry mojito and porn star martini but they are completely alcohol free it even says on the package 0% alcohol and that means that they stand among the apple and orange juices in the supermarket shelves yeah there were outraged people on social media they said their jaws dropped when they saw the new uh, uh, flavors in the supermarket Um, and others uh, asked how they could explain what a porn star martini is to their children Uh, I don't think they necessarily were shocked by uh, that the names refer to a alcoholic drink hmm. uh, but some were shocked that they had to uh, explain the word porn star to an children.
1: <laughs> it was it porn star or martini I don't know it's, uh, it, no, I mean, the, martini is a a, I mean, so it's fairly straightforward I mean, a, a martini is a drink and the porn star is the kind of faint one in the, the, in, in the north sky that uh, sailors <laughs> navigate <laughs> by by night right I mean that's how you explain <laughs> exactly. to your kids and then you can enjoy yeah. them explaining it to, to their friends <laughs> <laughs> i think you
0: should uh, they should explain it like this yeah that's uh, that's probably for the best no yeah. so the, the all the articles about this op-ed seem to think that people were mad about the alcoholic names but i think when i just looked at social media people were just yeah. mostly concerned about the word porn star so yeah. i think there was a little bit of misunderstanding there by the by the media um However, there were some experts that were also not happy with uh, the new names by Double Frizz. They said that using the names of popular cocktails uh, will normalize the usage of alcohol among children, and it will encourage them to start drinking earlier, even though the drinks are technically non-alcoholic. Um, Double Frizz responded to the OPF, they said that if anything, their flavors show that you don't need alcohol to have a good time.
1: Yeah, or just, just destroy your teeth
0: yeah <laughs> yeah indeed so uh, yeah it was a uh, it was a little bit uh, it was a, a, a strange op I think um, and also uh, RTL News included a number of tweets which were clearly ironic <laughs> how will I explain this to my children uh, one of these tweets said and I know this yeah. person and I knew <laughs> that he meant it very ironically so yeah, uh, yeah that's uh, I don't think uh, anyone uh, I don't think uh, they understood the op uh too well
1: no but it was, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a good bit of, uh, and uh, yeah, I, th- I think already it's, uh, it it's moved on, and um, yeah, people have, uh, I, th- I think, I think most people are creative enough to think of a way to explain this to their children without, yeah. um, without their jaws cracking on the kitchen floor. Exactly, but, I- I think but it's social I- media, so people are permanently outraged, and uh,
0: yeah, and when people are complaining about how sh- how should I explain this to my children, then the answer usually is don't explain it to your children. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Don't make a point out of it. And then your children will, uh, will also uh, don't think uh, there is uh, something serious going on. So yeah, that's uh, that would be my advice.
1: This week, the new Senate took its seats after an enormous amount of horse trading, which oddly the Fimals Party didn't want to get involved in. Also, the old Senate passed the new pension law, also not without a good deal of political drama. Tweede Kama chair Fira Bergkamp wrote a letter to Twitter and uh, was not impressed by the reply, to say the least. And Extinction Rebellion blocked the A12 motorway again. And if uh, you, you've forgotten the last time they did that, then you might be among the growing number of people who are suffering <laughs> from memory and concentration loss since the pandemic.
0: <laughs> on wednesday the 75 members of the new eerste Kamer were elected
1: hang on a second i, I didn't uh, i don't remember getting a stem pass in the mail am i suffering from long covid <laughs> <laughs> no probably not it's because you and i
0: couldn't vote this time Uh, Because in the Netherlands, the Senate isn't elected by the people, but by the 616 provincial representatives uh, that in turn we elected last March. So these are indirect elections. If this all sounds unnecessarily complicated, you're right. But it does make the Eerstekam election the most entertaining election, in my humble opinion, because uh, always something goes wrong.
1: Yeah, and it did this year, and we're yes. going to enjoy that uh, very, very shortly. Um, but uh, probably your favorite question of the year so far, Paul, can you explain again how the Senate voting system works?
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, to make uh, things uh, very complicated, a vote from one provincial representative isn't the same as one from another. The votes are weighted based on the population size of a province, and that means that a vote from a representative from South Holland has a weight of 692, while a vote from Zeeland only weighs 100. On top of that, there are also uh, delegates from the Caribbean parts of the Netherlands. And for the first time, there was an electoral college for Dutch nationals living abroad, taking part in the Senate election. So uh, yeah, there was, um, f- for only an hour on Wednesday afternoon, there was a virtual 13th province in The Hague.
1: Ah, well, a very special rare sighting, yeah. I suppose we just should say as well, this incredibly convoluted and elaborate system is designed to come up to produce a fairly straightforward outcome which is to have a proportionate senate right yeah. one that reflects the vote across the provinces in the march election that's the idea but they seem to they have this incredibly yeah byzantine mechanism for doing it which always causes yeah, and, problems yeah
0: and, and and that's because uh the provincial councils have a cap on the number of seats yeah uh, there are um, um i think The smallest provincial council has 20 seats, uh, and for every 250,000 inhabitants, uh, another seat is added. Uh, But there is a cap of 39, I believe, and uh, in the case of South Holland, it should uh, actually should have a lot more seats than uh, based on the based on the population uh, than it uh, than it has based on the cap. Um, So yeah, that is why they need to correct.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, the, so, so the, the, the the makeup of the provincial assemblies is not proportionate. No. But they have to somehow then engineer a proportionate result. Yeah. That's hideously complicated. Anyway, yeah.
0: Unnecessarily complicated, but yeah. it makes things a lot a, a lot more fun. Uh, yeah. I think it
1: is it's, it's real entertainment for political nerds. Yeah, so. <laughs> it
0: really is. Um, and Uh, because uh, as in every election uh, there is something called uh, rest or remainder seats which in normal elections are distributed among the parties in an extremely complicated formula Uh, but this election is different though because delegates are not bound to vote for their own party and that means that parties can make deals with friendly or like-minded parties to have their representatives vote strategically for another party uh, and uh, in that way force a more favorable redistribution of the remainder seats um, the parties have spent the past two and a half months to work out what was the best way of, uh, <laughs> of redistributing all the votes yeah. um, horse trading or cow trading as we yeah, call it yeah, in the a lot of the in Dutch it's
1: called cow trading cool yeah. handle yeah. 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 instead yeah. of horse yeah. trading
0: yeah. Um, so yeah that's uh, that's uh, that's how they spent their time the last uh, two and a half yeah. months
1: so they've basically all been uh, sleeping with their excel sheets to try and <laughs> yeah, exactly. work out what was the best combination of votes so, but yeah, and um, yeah t- without trying too hard to explain it I mean the, you have remainder votes because the, 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 um, when the seats are counted, you have to you you, own, you only get the complete, you know the the, yeah. the, the the number of full full seats that you get votes yeah. for. Then you always have some votes left over. and You then combine those votes to get a seat for one or other party. If you if you cool. lend. Or, or gift some of your leftover discarded seats to a party that doesn't quite have enough for an extra seat. And that tends to favour parties that are in coalition with each other or that have alliances or sympathetic favourite parties that they can do deals with in, in the Senate. And uh, that's, I guess, what happened uh, this time as well.
0: Yes, um, and uh, the results are that uh, the big winner of the provincial election is, uh, yeah, the Boerburger Beweging of Caroline van der Plas. Uh, the anti Nigerian party won the election in uh, all provinces last March, after uh, with a major lead. And in the initial prognosis, uh, they were expected to win 17 seats, but they failed to successfully horse trade. Yeah, uh, the, the, their the farmers votes.
1: didn't have enough horses to no, trade. No, exactly, yeah. to <laughs> trade. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh,
0: and they only won 16 seats. So they basically lost one seat uh, based on the outcome of the provincial election. That's still enough, though, to become the largest faction. So uh, Caroline van der Plos already commented saying that 17 or 16 seats, uh, we we don't really mind. Uh, we are the biggest and we are happy with that. Um, the big winner of the horse trading is the four-party coalition of Mark Rutte's cabinet. They were initially expected to win only 22 of the 75 seats, so that's uh, yeah far ahead from a majority. But thanks to uh, smart horse trading, they managed to win two extra seats. Both CDR and Kristaluni won an extra seat, and mm-hmm. to just. Yeah, explain how complicated everything is. Mm -hmm. VVD had plenty of votes uh, for the ten seats. I think they had votes for ten point eight seats. So two VVD representatives from Overijssel voted CDA. Two. These 60 representatives from Zeeland and Flevoland voted VVD. One deze <laughs> 60 representative from Overijssel voted ChristenUnie. Uh, and this was all because these 60 <laughs> refused to vote for CDA because of uh, yeah their nitrogen stance. So they, yeah. uh, And I
1: think there's a really interesting little nuance there or the, the 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 fact that uh, one coalition partner refused to cast any votes for another coalition partner. That tells that you something a lot. about the yeah, yeah the state of the coalition yeah.
0: yeah yeah and also we live in a apparently in a universe where the successor because of uh, principal reasons re- refuses to vote for a party and then just votes for Christian Uni, which yeah. Um, yeah within this coalition is their natural opposing party I think so, and yeah. nemesis
1: yeah on a lot yeah, of things yeah. like euthanasia for example and uh, yeah and abortion.
0: Yeah, so yeah. Uh, so very strange uh, political times, yeah. um, and the opposition parties were clearly unable or perhaps unwilling to uh, to strike deals. This cost PBB and PVV both one seat. So yeah, uh, yeah they uh,
1: they lost. Yeah, and the SGP they gained a seat as well, I think, because they got a vote from the Christian Union.
0: Uh, yeah, but but yeah, uh, uh, right. yeah the, the, the Christian Uni and SGP have a joint faction in Ceylon. So yeah, yeah it was a little bit difficult to um, yeah uh, uh, sort of t- say to one of their representatives you have to vote for Christian uni but they they managed to to um, to outweigh that I think for somehow yeah. uh, I can't remember exactly how yeah
1: yeah but anyway yeah <clears throat> so we mentioned earlier that something always goes wrong in these elections I and mean, in this um, occasion, the casualty of the, of the big uh, w- for want of a better word, fuck-up was uh, GroenLinks, <laughs> right?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because there was a bizarre incident, uh, Deborah Fernald, a GroenLinks delegate from South Holland, voted for Volt instead of her own party. <laughs> and as a result, GroenLinks didn't win eight seats in the Senate, but only seven, because, yeah, South Holland has the largest weight. Uh, a vote from South Holland has the largest yeah. weight. Um uh, and And the other seed went to fault, uh, and when it became clear uh, this wasn 't a mistake by Fernault. Uh, she was immediately expelled from the provincial GroenLinks faction, um, especially because apparently there were more, there were already frictions between her and her party. Uh, Fernald told NOS she regretted her vote for Volt, but she said she had no bad intentions but simply didn't know what the consequences of, of her vote would be. She added that she voted for Volt because she had befriended someone from that party uh, when she uh, uh, became a provincial representative. And she blamed GroenLinks for not telling her that she was supposed to vote <laughs> for her own party
1: so she was upset that uh, she hadn't been told that uh, she should vote for her own party and she also wasn't aware that casting a vote in an electoral college of 600 people might have an effect on the outcome of that election
0: i think hoon links and- is happy that they uh, got rid of her <laughs> now even though she took her own seat with her yeah. And she had a lovely um she had a lovely uh, uh analogy right about yeah. uh, a board game what was it
1: yeah she said uh, Mens er you need uh, or ludo as we call it in English she said uh, you know if you, if you don't know the rules of the game um then uh, yeah this the, the, is very hard to translate but basically uh, min er unit, which literally means uh, don't don't get annoyed she says uh, if, if you don't know the rules of uh, the don't get annoyed game then you get extremely annoyed
0: <laughs> yeah 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 so uh <laughs> didn't make any sense whatsoever. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so consequently, the joint pvda links faction, right, they promised to form one section in the Senate, yeah. these two parties, they now only have 14 seats instead of the expected 15, uh, which is still just enough to bring the coalition to the necessary majority of 38 seats to pass legislation in the upper house. This is also the case with uh, BBB, of course, they have 16 seats. So the coalition can easily go left or right. But it also shows how important this horse trading is, because if the coalition... Uh, wouldn't have done this yeah. uh, then uh, they wouldn't have a, a majority with the PvdA Links faction. They would have uh, uh, one seat short. So yeah. um, it's a good thing they have done it because otherwise it would have made uh, things very complicated for the uh, coalition in the Eerste Kamer.
1: Yeah, yeah. Although they could always I suppose uh Pediafun links could always have reached out to their friends in fault. Uh, who uh, <laughs> got <laughs> Especially an unexpected boost as a result of Deborah uh, final. <laughs> uh, fault uh, owes were road. one
0: now I think, yes. Um, yeah. And uh, speaking of Volt, uh, the Volt candidate who unexpectedly became a senator now, uh, following this uh, error by uh, Deborah Fernald, uh, turns out not to live in the Netherlands. Yeah. Um, Eddie Hartog lives in Greystones, Ireland, and he told the uh, Telegraph that he is not planning on moving to the Netherlands. Uh, many were surprised uh, that in contrast to local and provincial councillors uh, who are required to live in the municipality or province they represent, no similar requirement applies for national representatives um so he can um, yeah he's just allowed to st- to to stay uh, live in ireland and uh, yeah. become a senator in The Hague. um the senate usually only meets uh, once or twice a week so on tuesdays or on mondays and the senator is entitled to €3,600 a year in travel expenses. Yeah. And given and that, I mean,
1: they only meet about, was it 20 times a year or something like yeah. that? Because they only meet between recesses. I mean, a yeah, fl- return flight to Dublin these days, I mean, I'm looking on Skyscanner right now, yeah? So, and he gets €3,600 <laughs> in expenses. Well, I, I mean, you can the, fly, and the Senate meets on Tuesdays, so that's midweek, pretty cheap so if you fly out from Dublin and um, come Which back is- on a Monday come back to Amsterdam on a Wednesday you know it's only going to set you back about what um, looking at the cheapest Ryanair flights here about 55 euros So <laughs> exactly so he, we'll he, cover- he can just pretend to live in Leitschadam and uh, <laughs> sort <of> carry on <laughs> claims expenses from there and still make a profit on his return of airfares from Dublin I think so yes, it's a smart move to, by yes. the, the fault senator
0: yes um <laughs> Yeah and uh, but yeah it's uh, it is uh, it was another weird turn in in the whole GroenLinks um, yeah. drama of this eerste uh, Kamer election I think yeah. and uh the new
1: senate will be sworn in on June 13th mm. Before it dissolved, the outgoing Senate backed a new pension system in a vote that ended 16 years of horse trading and backroom negotiations. (laughs) Even then, there were last-minute concessions. The new law will come into force in 2028, a year later than initially planned, after pension providers said they needed more time to update their products and to transfer all their members. The law covers the additional pension that people save for through their employer, not the basic state pension, which remains the same. Private pensions are also unaffected. Uh, but this is big business. The All told, um, there is 1,500 billion euros invested <laughs> in Dutch collective pensions, which is something like, I think, I saw in the news, two and a half times the entire Dutch econ- size of the Dutch economy. Yeah, it's uh, uh, it's insane, isn't it? Yeah, staggering a staggering amounts of money, yeah. It
0: just shows how much the Dutch love to save
1: uh, their money. Yeah, how much the Dutch love to save money, Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, pensions Minister Carolus Gauten said it was an important step to ensuring that company pensions remain well funded. Supporters say the system provides more flexibility for people who are self-employed or who change jobs frequently because people don't really have careers for life anymore as they did when this was set up. Pensions expert Maurice Knuff of Tilburg University said it would be more transparent and allow people to see what share of the total pension fund was going to them. And the pensions will be more tailored to people's circumstances, with high-risk funds for the younger savers to give them the best returns, and low-risk investments for people nearing retirement who want to protect what they've built up. The downside is that the new pensions are more vulnerable to stock market fluctuations and the amount you'll receive when you retire is no longer guaranteed.
0: So how does this new pension work then?
1: Oh, great. Yeah, this is my equivalent of the uh, question about the Senate elections, right? (laughs) Uh, I mean, it is complicated, but one of the big changes is that they're doing away with this uh, idea that all the money you pay into a pension fund across your career uh, is of equal value or carries equal weight, even though in reality investments increase over time or increase in value over time, so money you pay in early in your career will accumulate more than what you pay in towards the end when you're nearing retirement. Basically, they're recognizing the principle of compound interest, which is Mm. good of them. So, effectively, younger savers were subsidizing older savers under the old system and that's not a problem when everyone goes through the same cycle but during the transition there's a group in the middle of their careers who will lose out because they contributed under the old system when they were younger but they don't get the rebalancing effect later on so the government needs to come up with a mechanism to compensate them and that will cost an estimated 60 billion euros and they wow. still haven't worked out who's going to pay for that uh, so we're not quite over the line.
0: Yeah, and that's not the only controversy surrounding this new law,
1: right? No, because three law professors wrote to the Senate this week to tell them the new system needed to be passed by a two-thirds majority. Otherwise, they said (laughs) it would be unconstitutional and the whole 16 years would be for nothing. Uh, and that's because, uh, they argue, a universal change to pension rules also affects the pensions of MPs, and under the Constitution of the Netherlands, any variation in the income of uh, elected uh, members of Parliament needs a two-thirds of majority. However, not everyone agreed with that analysis. Parliamentary historian Bert van der Praak said earlier changes to pensions that affected MPs' salaries had been passed by a simple majority, so that's set a precedent, and Pensions Minister Carolus schouten said it was a technical change to the existing law. Even though it took 16 years to negotiate, so <laughs> the two-thirds majority rule didn't apply.
0: Yeah, and uh, the funny thing was that um, you know this ha- this this law has been in the making for 15 years, and uh, the Tweede Kamer has debated this law for 180 hours or something. Yeah. The the Senate also uh, 20 hours or, or more, and uh, nobody um, noticed this uh, yeah constitutional uh, article yeah. Uh, until. Our favorite uh, senator, Tiny Cox—sorry, uh, uh, <laughs> Tiny Cox—noticed uh, <laughs> yes. it. The uh, space senator, uh, I think, last week, only last week, and all of a sudden, everyone, uh, yeah, took that as the sort of uh, major uh, counter-argument against yeah. this, uh, this uh, the passing of this law, yeah, uh, which, uh, yeah. which was a little bit interesting. I think uh, that, uh, yeah, nobody. Uh, thought of uh, consulting the constitution and all of a sudden everyone (laughs) turned out to be a constitutional expert uh, in the the, the span of uh, a day or so
1: yeah indeed and Yeah, there was something like 2,000 questions from MPs on the last uh, debate on the pension laws. I mean, there there was a lot of, um, what do you call it, filibustering or just a a, a, lot of parties that were against this law wanted to hold it up. Uh, There was an argument that um, it, it, it should have waited until the new Senate was sworn in, even though this has been the subject of years and years of debate. And yeah. yeah, it's been debated debated extensively by the current Senate. So why they thought the new Senate should you know come in and presumably have another debate and then pass it months down the line, I'm not quite sure. But yeah, yeah. anyway, yeah, there was a lot of de- 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 stalling tactics and people coming up with uh, questions and minute objections, including this constitutional point, uh, to try yeah. and uh, hold up the vote. But in the end, it it came to nothing because uh, they did pass uh, the new pension system um, this week.
0: Yes, and um, Vera Bergkamp, uh, she's the chair of the Tweede Kamer, uh, she uh, has sent a letter to Twitter, right?
1: Yes, she wrote to the social media company urging them to take action against death threats and intimidating bes- messages and videos directed at Dutch politicians. Uh, the issue's been in the spotlight again last week after the daughters of Sigrid Kaag said they hoped uh, she would switch to a different career that was uh, safer because they were worried about um, yeah, her well-being. They said it only has to go wrong once and uh, referred to the killing of former Health Minister Els Borst. Of course, there's also a Deces minister. Um, and she was... Uh, stabbed in her garage nine years ago by a man who uh, believed she should be punished for legalizing euthanasia berthkamp expressed her deep concern about the aggressive atmosphere on social media and said twitter had a responsibility to create a safe space for free expression members of parliament must be able to carry out their duties without being exposed to such horrifying threats online she said
0: yes and uh, did uh, twitter respond to the letter
1: well, NOS got in touch and uh, they asked if Twitter had any comment to make. And in reply, they got an automated response, which contained one poop emoji. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, which I assume Vera Bergkamp also received then. Because uh, yeah, if she sends an email to them, that's, uh, yeah. that's the
1: automat- automatic reply, automatic right? Automatic reply, yeah. Which yeah. is apparently some kind of a hilarious joke by Elon Musk, who is yes. well known for his uh, wit and uh, magnanimity <laughs> on the social media platform that he bought for too much money.
0: Another week, another blockade of the A12 motorway in The Hague by Extinction Rebellion. On Saturday, 1,600 protesters were arrested after refusing to leave the motorway that runs next to the temporary Tweede Kamer building and also ends at the former uh, Esso headquarters. I think the Red Elephant, it's called, right? Yeah, I know the building you mean. Um, unfortunately, it's no longer there. Headquarters. Otherwise, it would have been uh, even more much more um, appropriate. Much more appropriate. Yes. The occupation was banned by the mayor of The Hague, but just like the previous eight times, this didn't stop the protesters, which included Game of Thrones actress and. Frequent flyer, Carries van Houten. A large police force, including a borrowed German water cannon, was present to arrest those on the motorway, but it took them the better part of the afternoon to clear the road. Nearly all of those arrested were released almost immediately, but 40 will face vandalism and other charges, and there was also one person arrested for biting a police officer.
1: All right, okay. Not good.
0: No, but if it's only one of the sixteen hundred, I mean that's uh, that's a great score. Yeah. Extinction Rebellion is protesting the government's support for the fossil fuel industry in the form of tax breaks or subsidies. Extinction Rebellion claims this accumulates to seventeen billion euros annually, while the Economic Affairs Ministry says it's only four and a half billion. So. Oh well. What are we talking about?
1: Yeah, exactly. Only four and a half billion. It's nothing really. Drop in the ocean. Barely even one person's pension fund. <laughs> yeah. Um. And. Amnesty International is worried by the large number of arrests at this and previous Extinction Rebellion protests.
0: Okay. Yes, on Thursday uh, the Human Rights Organization published a report which said that the Dutch police are infringing on the privacy of demonstrators by making illegal identity checks and these are stored for f- at least five years in police databases which is also worrying uh, Amnesty. Additionally police powers are formulated too vaguely, uh, Amnesty says, and protesters feel intimidated and rep- pressed in their right to demonstrate and Amnesty is urging the Dutch government to stop checking the ideas of peaceful demonstrators who are only making use of an important human right they say
1: yeah, and MPs have raised this as well in context, not just of the mass arrests, but also like things like the preemptive arrests of organizers of demonstrations because they go on social media and say we're going to block a motorway, and so the police come out and say that's incitement to break the law, and so they raid their houses at uh, early in the morning and uh, lead them away. Yeah, I think there's a fairly worrying trend that uh, this kind of mass use of ID checks is obviously a lot of people, especially protesters who may work in local government or uh, younger protesters who uh, will want to go on to have a career in well um, any kind of warts of life and uh, they feel that, that, that they don't want to take part in protests because they don't want the risk that their details are stored on a police computer database somewhere for five years. So it has kind of a, a restricting effect on the right to protest.
0: That's right. But yeah, then there are other people saying that um, blocking a motorway is not uh, a legitimate form of protesting. It is an illegal activity. So yeah, the police then has a duty to prevent this uh, from happening as much as possible. So yeah, they say uh, the police is allowed to do this uh, because it's part of their duty.
1: Yeah, the police themselves say it's a proportionate response, certainly, and I think Amnesty's argument is that you shouldn't be taking people's ID details if they're actually posing a direct threat to public order. The question is whether you actually need to take the details of dozens or hundreds of people or whether this is a police... Tactic, the police themselves are also were also annoyed that almost all the people who were arrested last weekend were then released without charge, and they've accused the prosecution service almost of like inciting further protests by not charging them, yeah, whereas the prosecution service say, well, actually, when we looked at what they'd done, it didn't constitute an offense <laughs> on mm-hmm. under our criminal law, so we couldn't prosecute them. No,
0: and they said that uh, you know the, the whole uh, point of arresting these people was to clear the motorway. So yeah. uh, by arresting them, that effect was already uh, reached. So yeah, we no longer had a reason to keep them in custody, um, yeah. and there was even more upheaval because one public prosecutor from Den Bosch was among these people protesting on the motorway. So <laughs> right. yeah, a lot of people that were against uh, this form of protest explained this as uh, as uh, yeah, the public prosecutor is uh, you know sympathetic with this cause even. It was yeah. only a private individual who uh, happens to work as a, as a public prosecutor.
1: I mean, it's also kind of become a you know, cat and mouse game now because, you know, all the Extinction Rebellion will say, we're going to have a protest on the A12. The city council will say, you can't protest on the A12. But we'll let you protest on the Mali Felt. And of course, the protesters say, well, we don't want to protest on the Mali Felt. We're not demonstrating against the Mali Felt. We're demonstrating against motorways. And so <laughs> you, you can almost see it's a drama that everyone's got their part in the script and you know how it's going to play out. And yeah. it does every time. And then the police get Involved, they arrest everybody. The prosecution service come in and uh, release them from jail. Everyone accuses everybody else of uh, of, of, of uh, fomenting the protest and law uh, breaking, and, and uh, yeah, so it goes and we'll see this again, I'm sure, again several times over the summer.
0: Yeah, especially because this was the eighth time already, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. as you said, it's the same script we see over and over again. The only thing that's different is now uh, that the temperature is starting to rise, people seem to, more and more people seem to come to the A12 because they're no longer afraid of uh, uh, getting hypothermia because of the uh, water cannons yeah. uh, that are borrowed from, from Germany. So Yeah, uh, and in
1: fact, people were out there this time, they, they brought along like inflatable uh, flamingos and they turned up in their swimming <laughs> costumes, tent. right? So they could make <laughs> a point of uh, saying that they're actually quite enjoy getting sprayed by water cannon yeah. on a spring day
0: yeah we saw this inflatable flamingo when we thought dennis weersma was present there but yeah. uh, apparently it was <laughs> someone else
1: We can't promise you a seat in the Senate or a get-out-of-jail card if you get arrested on the A12 or an inflatable Flamingo, but you can earn our sincere (laughs) gratitude and keep this podcast going by sponsoring us on Patreon. We really do rely on the support of our generous sponsors to buy us the time we need to record these podcasts and keep you updated on all the latest news and political developments here in the Netherlands. So thank you once again to all our very wise and uh, magnanimous patrons for your continued support. New patrons will receive a shout-out to say thank you individually and the chance to ask us a question. Uh, We won't store your details for five years either on a database, (laughs) so rest assured on that point. And you can become a patron today for as little as a euro, a dollar, or a pound a month just by logging on to www.patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Dutch News NL. The number of people going to their doctor with memory and concentration problems has increased by almost a quarter in the last three years. The public health agency, RFEM, said the most likely reason is the effect of long Covid, or the long-term symptoms of a coronavirus infection. In the 45 to 74 age group, the number of cases is up by 40% in the first quarter of 2023, compared to the same period in 2020, which was just before the pandemic broke out. But the lockdown restrictions may also have accelerated memory loss, particularly in people who are already starting to have problems like Alzheimer's patients because their routine and their social network fell away and their whole kind of mental balance was disrupted. Doctors and patients have called for a national action plan to improve what they say is a failure to treat long COVID patients in the Netherlands, the ADA reported last month.
0: And uh, there are more that have been struggling to remember things since the pandemic, right?
1: Yes, uh, particularly KLM. The national (laughs) airline uh, seems to have forgotten about its obligations um, to uh, make uh, cost savings uh, in return for receiving 3.4 billion loans in uh, coronavirus support to help it survive the pandemic. That's according to a report by the state agent, or the uh, regulator, whose job is to oversee how the national flag-carrying airline spends government money. KLM received the biggest handout of any company during the pandemic, but in return it had to implement a number of cost-saving measures. Ground and cabin staff had to accept a pay cut as part of the deal, but employees higher up the pay scale managed to avoid a similar sacrifice. The company also paid bonuses to its staff and failed to tackle tax evasion by employees who used the flight schedule to get around tax residency rules. Jeroen Kramers, the state agent, said that the company had fallen €250 million short of its target altogether. That was just this year, actually, 2022. Hmm, Last year, rather.
0: Yes. Yes. And how did KLM respond to uh, all these accusations?
1: Yeah, KLM were having none of it. They said the government support was effective and allowed the airline to survive the pandemic. They also accused claimers of exceeding his brief and mixing facts and opinions. And they insisted they comfortably achieved the 15% reduction in controllable costs between 2020 and 2022. And they've also repaid all their loans. And they began recording positive financial results last year our 33,000 employees are grateful for the government's support and proud that the klm has emerged in this difficult period the airline said in a statement hmm. but uh yeah i think um secret also said she wasn't impressed with uh, the report from uh, kramers and uh, she said that uh, she felt the klm had not complied with uh, the conditions of the deal that agreed on to take the loans so there will be further repercussions i think
0: i hope for klm uh, there's no uh Pandemic in the near future because I don't think with this kind of behavior they cannot count on uh, as much as support as they uh, did the last time.
1: No, indeed, yeah, yeah. They also flew the royal family home from their holiday retreat in Greece when the OPEF blew up about them uh, going away on holiday during the pandemic. So still provide uh, an important uh, service to uh, to national OPF there.
0: That's right. A 34-year-old man in Hussen was arrested on Thursday for hanging a Nazi symbol in his car window. Police released a photo of a small banner with a uh, Partei Adler, that's the logo of the Nazi party, in the back window of a red Volkswagen Lupo on Facebook. And earlier the man was told by police to remove the banner after he was spotted driving around with it in the North Holland town. But a few days later the car was spotted again. This time, parked in front of a police station where the man was summoned <laughs> to go for another case, the man was promptly arrested on charges of groepsbelediging, uh, which uh, translates to something like a group insult.
1: Yeah, discrimination against a group or something. Yeah,
0: something like that. Yeah. And the uh, public prosecutor is now deciding how the case will be handled further. And yeah, this photo is just <laughs> <laughs> well, the most conclusive, isn't it? Yeah. yeah he was really caught red-handed and also he was driving in a volkswagen which is probably not a coincidence
1: (laughs) yeah i I imagine he's probably got a big collection of uh, volkswagens
0: i think so too yes and it's also called lupo which is also the favorite animal of uh yeah a certain (laughs) german dictator isn't it so um
1: yeah and yeah and to compound it all he parted outside the police station so yeah
0: (laughs) yeah what an idiot
1: i mean you couldn't have done much better if you'd actually just run in waving a big nazi flag which perhaps he did as well
0: yeah well it was Literally doing that, so uh, yes.
1: <laughs> in sports news, the Erie Divisies wrapped up at long last at the weekend with their PSV Eindhoven securing second place with a last cast win at Az at Alkmaar. That result also meant that Ajax finished third despite losing their final match 3 1 to SV Twente, who finished in a very creditable fifth place. The final Conference League playoff slot went to Herafane following their 2 0 win at home to go ahead Eagles. At the other end of the table Emmen began their fight to stay in the top division with a 2-1 win at Nakbreda in the semi-finals of the Naccompetitzi. In the other match, hmm. Palmeira City drew one all with Feyenoord Fenlo in their first leg. The second legs are being played on Saturday and the two winners will play off for a place in next season's Eredivisie over two legs next week.
0: And uh, there was also plenty of Ajax news off the field this week, right? Because yeah. uh, the team from Amsterdam has been struggling a little bit uh, in the past uh, months, past year, I think, and... Uh, this all uh, translates into uh, drama outside the field, right?
1: Yeah, it's been struggling on the pitch and uh, hasn't really had a happy time off the pitch either. But last year, it was all about PSV losing their manager and root van Nistelrooy in quite dramatic circumstances and Feyenoord hanging on to Ari Slot. Uh, this week, uh, Ajax have parted company with uh, their coach, uh, John Heitingaar. Less dramatic, he was appointed... As an interim coach uh, after the debacle of Alfred Schröder, who was uh, sacked uh, in, in January, Heitinger, who had no coaching experience, was uh, appointed uh, as, a, as a stopgap measure effectively. And although he steadied the ship, the team lost the cup final. They yeah, finished uh, third in the league. That's their first finish outside the top two for 14 years. And they said they hmm. wanted to appoint a more experienced coach. <laughs> and the name of Peter Boss, who was coached before uh, Erich ten Haag, has been mentioned as among the leading contenders, but the other head to roll this week at Ajax was Edwin van der Sar, who stood down as chief executive after seven years. The former uh, Ajax and Dutch international goalkeeper said he and the club had experienced wonderful things together, but it had also been an incredibly tough period van der Sauer presided over a revival of the team on the pitch. Ajax won three league titles under his stewardship, they reached the final of the Europa League and came very close to the final of the Champions League a few years ago. They've also nurtured players who sold for huge transfer fees like Frenkie de Jong, Matthijs de Licht and Antony. But the club was criticised for his handling of the case of Api Nuri, who was left permanently brain damaged after he suffered heart failure during a friendly match. And Sar also appointed Mark Overmars as director of football. Mm. Of course, Overmars left in disgrace last year after he was found to have been sending inappropriate pictures to female colleagues. And there were some taught that uh, Sar and the club's board had been rather slow to wise up to what Overmars was doing.
0: But there's better news for the Ajax uh, women because they get that title celebration in the end, right?
1: Yes, um, uh, while the men continue to be be a source of disappointment, uh, the women have defied the club's directors, uh, who said that they didn't want to have a celebration for the women's league title because they felt there wasn't a celebratory atmosphere at the club. So they turned down the offer of a, a reception either on the balcony of the um, Amsterdam City Hall or on the uh, where the where, which has been decorated in the moment by a Russian tank <laughs> um, a Russian tank that's been destroyed which is probably more of an apt metaphor for Ajax's current uh, state of health <laughs> anyway um, van der in one of his last statements to the CEO said there wouldn't be a reception for the women's team so a local brewery an online football channel and former Ajax player Leona Stentler Arrange for the players to turn up in limousines at the Levenslung nightclub, where hundreds of people danced the polonaise, listened to some terrible music, and by all accounts had a great time. Okay. They probably guzzled some raw herring as well. So <laughs> good on them.
0: All right. Um, that sounds awful. It does, <laughs> but uh,
1: they, they enjoyed it, and nothing's nice to finish uh, the podcast on that beat note. Yes, that's right. <laughs> That's all we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We'll include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. And if you want to help us out, please consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving us a rating, or even backing us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnews.nl. That will earn you a shout-out on the podcast and uh, our undying gratitude. My thanks to Paul Peters. I'm Gordon Darroch, and we'll be back next week. МУЗЫКАЛЬНАЯ